0: ready set go hi and welcome to green grasses i'm amy and i'm carla and we are coming to you once again from amy's kitchen yay we have a return guest today we are so excited about it but before i announce him the only guy we've really had (laughs) on our podcast but in case you didn't know that i know um i'll let you know what we're gonna do today um, well, I guess I'll just tell you who he it is. It's Omri Miles, <laughs> in case anyone was just dying of curiosity. Uh, I'm going to introduce him in just a minute. Then we're going to go through a verse of the week, our, our chapter review, of course, my sports minute. And I just messed up the order, so not in that order. Um, we're going to do Chapter 6, Part 3 of The Character of Nations uh, by Angelo Codivia. And we're not going to have Omri's testimony today because he already shared it with us. So if you'd like to hear it, go back to episode five. And just uh, in the beginning, we'll have his testimony. And then um, go ahead and listen to the rest because it really (laughs) is part one of what we're going to be talking today. We didn't get through all of the questions we had last time. So we're going to be going over some additional questions on the issue of systemic racism. Uh, what else? Um, some new terms, the woke movement, how it, how the gospel, uh, how the gospel should affect our thinking about that, things like that. Amy, you look like you have something to say. Oh no, I was oh. just sitting here with my coffee, looking very interested. Looking, <laughs> looking interested. So okay, I'm going to go ahead and get started. I'm going to just give uh, a brief introduction to Omri for those that did not hear the first episode. So. He was, or the fifth episode, I should say. Born in New Orleans, Louisiana, he has a Master of Arts and Biblical Counseling from the Master's University. He has a Master of Divinity from the Expositor Seminary. He is married to Emily, who is a sweet friend to me and quite possibly one of the few uh, sports fan friends that I have. <laughs> She's always up for a baseball game, which I appreciate. They have four children together, ages six, five, two, and one he's on staff at grace bible church in tempe arizona which is where we all go to church he helps oversee the 414 ministry which is young adults he does the book table small group and bcev which is the counseling of the east
1: valley so he uh, does a lot and as of sunday yes is officially an elder
2: that's right should so we call
1: you elder omri nope.
2: <laughs> nope.
1: so we were talking about how you know like just magically now you now have acquired more wisdom no <laughs>
2: we're I wish it worked like that
1: <laughs> no. yeah we're no. so excited Yeah, um, in the in previous
0: podcast I shared about just how much your friendship has meant over the past few years and to see you uh, just mature and grow in the Lord and in a lot of education um, but mm-hmm. get to this place where you are a qualified man to lead the church is is um, exciting for us because we wholeheartedly believe that you are that man of integrity that we are happy to follow as a church
1: leader. So we... Oh, just, I was grinning ear to ear as you guys were up there. Cause Thank you. It's, I'm sure, humbling mm-hmm. to have that responsibility. Definitely. But yeah. it's, it's so, like, something I think quite often is just how blessed we are as a body to have... The men in elder Mm -hmm. positions that we have, like we we don't always understand some of the goings on, but we always come back to do we trust these men? And it's always yes. Mm -hmm. Like I trust all of our elders. And so Mm -hmm. it's just really neat to have, you know, you in there now yeah. officially yeah. so that's great and it's a first
0: or it's the next step for maybe future plans this was a big step mm. yeah
2: and maybe this was. you
0: know there's it's, it's it's a big step along the way for what god will do in your life and we're so excited to watch that you and emily Thank and all you. those kids
1: yeah so i mean other than that i think we need to hear Take me out to the ball game with Carla. We have songs now, (laughs) Omri.
0: Okay, starting with the D-backs, their record is six and ten. Yikes. Not the start at all that I was hoping for, but what does that mean? They have lost six and won ten. I'm sorry. They have lost they have sorry, they have won six. Because I'm looking at you and my notes at the same time. (laughs) I can't do that. Okay, they have won six and lost 10. Okay. So they have a losing record. Okay. So when I say that they are trying to work up to 500, it means they're trying to have the same number that they win and the same number that they lose, which is a mediocre season. But right now, 500 is kind of a goal.
1: Wait,
0: what do you mean 500? Well, it's .5. It's half. It's half won, half lost. Oh, okay. that's where okay. it comes okay. from. So it's just how you say it. I was like five hundred. No, if you look at it, five hundred. The okay. <laughs> so, so sorry if I made that really confusing. Sometimes I still get a little nervous because this is recorded, so I get my words all mixed up. But anyway, but on Sunday, Madison Bumgardner had a good game, which I've been waiting for now for like a year. So. <laughs> Um, it was good to see uh, that he won a game and he only let, I think the score was two runs. He only let two runs in and only five hits, which is really good. So it was good to see him get back to form. So hopefully, I mean, I don't know if he's back to what he used to be, but it might be a good sign. I don't know. We have to wait and see him in, in future games. So the Suns. Now they had a terrible loss against the Spurs, like they lost, for, lost by over 20 points which was kind of disappointing because they had had such a great run, but you know they're, they're a really young team so this kind of stuff can happen. So I was listening to it on the radio last night because they did win last night and they won by a point in overtime against the Bucks who are really good. But there was a questionable foul. That's the one thing about b- basketball I have a hard time with. Even when I'm watching it, I can't always see what the fouls are. So they'll call a foul, and I'm like, what, what, what do you do? What do you do? And so um, and it's even worse on the radio because you don't see it. And so the, I guess there was a questionable foul. But Devin Booker actually threw the winning free throw shot and uh, which was just exciting cause, because the Bucks were a good team. So you want to beat them because it just, and they needed it because of such, it was such a bad loss against the Spurs. So it was great. So we're back to the Suns are doing well. But it was kind of a rough week. Okay, the Cardinals, nothing new. I am now following a little closer on draft picks because it's coming up next week. So we'll see where the where uh, things land there, and no update on Larry Fitzgerald because I don't know. We haven't heard. Still don't know. Is he coming back? Is he retiring? Is he playing for the Buccaneers? I don't know. And that's my sports minute. <laughs> Omri, do you watch sports?
2: I don't. I used to. Okay. But now I Your might catch busy. highlights every once in a while.
0: Yeah. It's hard. Like you can't just sit there it just takes time
2: it, it really does mm-hmm. and then I'm always thinking I could be reading right now no.
0: right <laughs> yes I listen a lot in the car when I'm driving I'll have it on while I'm cleaning mostly on the radio because I can't you know okay. but I love listening to like baseball games in the background they're so fun. Mm. And, you know, even basketball games in the background.
2: Mm. So. Baseball games are my favorite sporting event to attend. Yes. Oh,
1: really? Those are really they fun are so to go chill. to. so chill. You mm-hmm. can yes. go
2: hang out, you know, watch the game kind of at your leisure.
3: Yeah.
2: It's not super rowdy. I didn't know that until I moved out here and actually went to oh, a few. Oh, yeah.
0: Mm-hmm.
2: I'm like, this is great. Yeah. yeah I think is. the last it's game back. I went to was with uh, Sam and Ashley Pagel. Aww. And Emily.
0: Mm-hmm.
2: Oh, fun. So we all went together. Yeah.
0: Yeah. Baseball games
1: are fun. I've learned hockey. My kids all play, so I'm learning. I <laughs> did hear it, a little bit
0: about the Coyotes. Oh yeah, they're, how are we doing? Well, they're doing okay. Yeah. I think better than last year. Yeah. But Darcy Kemper is out. I think that's a big deal. That's
1: oh. All I, know. I do know that name. Yeah. He's a. Don't know what what yeah, he plays. But I, I
0: don't know if he's the goalie. I don't know what he does. But I know he's been out. I think. I don't think he's the goalie.
1: See? I don't know. But I will tell you, those hockey goalies are impressive. Mm -hmm. Like those pro guys, they're fast. Um, anyway, all right,
0: well, we're going to move
1: on. She's had enough sports. My smooth transition there. I Um, normally,
0: Amy normally has a very bored look on her face. (laughs) It's a little bit more smiles today. No,
1: it's more like, uh mm uh-huh. Yeah, totally. Oh, I yeah, get it. I'm asking more questions. I'm trying to get involved. Good job. Thank you. All right. I appreciate that. Well, today I thought I would do um, go over in our, our verse of the week um, part of Psalm 84. And then I, I read, I've been reading a devotional book the last year or two um, by Paul Tripp that's called New Morning Mercies, and it's um, just a daily gospel devotional. Um, And so on the days that, like when I was teaching, and I just, like I didn't have a whole lot of time in the mornings, I would just, I would read this, and it gives you a scripture with it. Um, So anyway, so I was gonna read that. But today, Psalms 84, uh, verse 10 says, "'For a day in your courts is better than a thousand outside. I would rather stand at the threshold of the house of my God than dwell in the tents of wickedness.'" And the little devotional says, "'Don't waste your time in envy. You always have what you need because God's faithfulness is never tainted by partiality. In a world of justice gone bad, where disloyalty brings daily pain, where government is corrupt and even faithful friends come up short, where the haves get more and the have-nots wonder why and where it is very tempting to look over the fence at someone else's life and wonder why so much good has fallen on him, it is so good to know that you never play favorites. You lavish riches of grace on each and every one of your children. You meet every child's every need, and you do it with unbroken faithfulness. So I will quit keeping score. I will not judge your goodness. No, I will rest in the bounty of your mercy. And I thought that was very appropriate for today's yeah. topic. So. <laughs> yeah, When what, what did
0: it say when justice
1: when government is corrupt. And yeah, in a world of justice gone bad, where disloyalty brings daily pain, where government is corrupt, and even faithful friends come up short, kind of the grass is always greener mm-hmm. mentality, and you know to remember God's faithfulness and His goodness. Um, I've been reminded of that so much lately, especially with Josh's sermons. Um, just, we have a good God who gives good gifts. Mm-hmm. To his people, and who am I to question why I'm in the situation that I'm in? And, you know, to be looking over the fence, going, I wish I had what they had, and, you know, not rejoicing with others around me, and, you know, just all of those things that is just the wickedness of this world creeping into our thoughts. And to remember that we have a God that is good to us, and He Mm -hmm. gives us good things, and it doesn't always look like we expect it to look or that we hope for it to look and in the timing that we hope for it you know but, but he's there and he's working and he's, he's bringing all of those things mm-hmm. to fruition
0: because what we want isn't always good for us and God knows
1: right. that yep and sometimes he has a bigger plan yeah. than we could even imagine yes um, and he needs to work out those, those hardships and trials now to get us ready and mm-hmm. you know yeah and he will make things right one day
0: Amen. and mm-hmm. that's what when Steve was prosecuting we'd had a, we had a lot of conversations about justice Things like that, you know, and um, yeah. we just always remembered God will make things right, yeah. and you just have to remember that. Yeah. Speaking of corrupt governments, <laughs> I don't have a song for
1: the book. I know, you. no,
0: it's okay, it might be kind of dramatic. I don't know, kind of eerie. There
1: you go, I maybe. Know. I don't know,
0: Something I don't know, ominous, right? So, we're going to go over Character of Nations, chapter 6, part 3. Um, and there's a lot in this section too. I was surprised. I almost skipped over it because I thought, no, I'm just going to jump to chapter seven because I'm never going to finish this book. But no, that no, we need to stop and look at what this book has to say in this chapter. So he, could Codav- uh, Angela Cotavia, starts talking about, you know, we talked about civility, we talked about um, representation, things like that. And now he starts talking about specific governments. He talks about China, Taiwan, Mexico and Italy and I won't go over all of them. But if I were to pull out a theme that's consistent across all of these countries and their governments, it would be they are governments of bribery and dishonest dealings. Um, that's the common thread and it's been not a new topic from the you know the rest of the book. so um, so I'm going to start with this quote. It might get a little technical, so stick with me folks, okay? <laughs> Um, but I think I'll try to keep it fun. Well, I think it's fun. I'm sorry if you don't think it's fun. Um, but anyway, so it starts with, bureaucratic efficiency is the enemy of all efficiencies. Moreover, insofar as, insofar as an official really does make his garden flourish, he becomes rooted in it and dangerously independent of his superiors. When I read that, I was like, I can tell this is an important quote, but I couldn't really understand it. So I just read a little bit more, thought about it. And as I thought about it, I came up with two Ronald Reagan quotes that kind of explain what this means. First is, the most terrifying words in the English language are, I'm from the government, and I'm here to help. (laughs) 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 And the next one is, no government ever voluntarily reduces itself in size. Government programs once launched never disappear a government bureau is the nearest thing to eternal life we'll ever see on this earth. <laughs> so kind of a funny way to talk about um, bureaucracy, the permanent, how permanent bureaucracies become. And that's kind of what it was talking about, is that a bureaucrat does well, but so so in thinking about how, how a bureaucrat does well, and in the quote, how he makes his uh, garden flourish, what does that mean? So how? Uh, now, and I'll ask Omri and Amy what they think about this. How does a bureaucracy prove its worth? Uh, Jeopardy music, please?: I know. <laughs> you
2: mean how should they? or how do they?
0: You can answer both. Because I talk about both.
2: Hmm. I was it, they, they do practically by making people dependent. Uh, mm-hmm. demonstrating you need us
0: mm-hmm.
2: um, I would say they should by helping people be independent
0: that's a really interesting <laughs> answer and it you took a little bit of a difference than what I thought um, but yeah uh, what I came to th- when I was thinking about this is how do we know that these bureaucracies um, are worthy I didn't want to use the word successful Uh, And I'll I'll explain why. Because they prove their worth by their growth. They prove their worth by how big they get. They should be proving their worth by actually completing the goals for which they were created.
3: Hmm.
0: Mm -hmm. Um, The welfare system was created to help the poor. But the program gets bigger and we just get more poor people. We don't ever see the number of poor people decrease. Mm -hmm. So instead of asking themselves, are we being successful because we should be seeing a decrease in poor people, the answer is no. Let's make ourselves bigger. And um, so that's one example. And then Social Security, too. And I can give, if anybody, I can, but I just didn't have time. Anyway, and so Social Security, we have destitute old people that apparently shouldn't be destitute because we have social security. So what happens, we have more destitute elderly people and a bigger government program. Mm -hmm. And another one, the uh, Department of Education. Department of Education, I'm assuming, was created to support the education of children. But I I think we're seeing the Department of Education grow, and I'm not really seeing students getting smarter. Mm -mm. So that's what makes it this bureaucracy that just grows and grows and grows and isn't actually successful or meeting its objectives. Um, And I watched a a documentary on Thomas Sowell where he was an intern for the Department of Labor and he came up with a test for how minimum wage, how he could show that minimum wage (laughs) had adverse effects.
2: Yeah, so good.
0: And they had absolutely no interest in what he had to say because he was they were like, he's just showing us how we're gonna reduce in size as a program rather than help people. So you see how government is just not in the not its purpose doesn't it doesn't end up helping people. It ends mm-hmm. up just growing itself. Because the problem
1: isn't with the government, (laughs) it's with the people.
0: Well, and it's the people
1: running, right, not the government, the people running the government. Well, I'm like, if you're gonna offer welfare, like the hearts of the people don't wanna work. Mm -hmm. So like, why wouldn't I just take them up on that? Right, well, and then they become cushy jobs. They become, I
0: become the head of this department. Mm -hmm. And to have that threatened becomes a problem. And I think we've seen that in the last uh, the you know in, in in the last four years or five mm-hmm. years we saw the threat to the size of government and we saw what happened as a result.
2: Yeah, something similar happens in the uh, realm of religious education with mm-hmm. uh, seminaries. Really? You know, I mean, mm. think about it. Seminaries are typically, um, thankfully, not the case with expositors because it's so tied to the local church. But seminaries. Uh, Gain. I mean, what they are is they're training pastors, right? So if if you trained the very men that come through your school to do their own training and to mm-hmm. actually have that conviction that this parachurch ministry seminary shouldn't exist and mm-hmm. pastors should be training their own pastors so, okay. as we have, uh, then the seminary would stop existing mm-hmm. and, and, would, and would need to reduce reduce in size, but. Mm-hmm they They become these empires, and they build a name for so themselves and so it's like, yeah, we might say we want pastors training pastors, but we really want pastors sending mm-hmm. their guys here, Wow, right, so you never work yourself out of a job because right. uh, then you'd be mm-hmm. not needed anymore mm-hmm.
1: I yeah, mean for the church, you, ideally,
2: that's the case and when
1: you yeah. start looking for churches, and this is another podcast topic I really want to do is how like what to look for in the church mm. um because you know, when you look for churches and you look at the the leadership of the church and like where they went to college and like things like that, that you mm-hmm. you know, you're like, where were they trained, and like how to filter through that too? Because um, I you know, we're from, I'm from Texas, and there are several big you know theological yes. seminaries there, mm-hmm. and they don't always align. You know, yeah. with, like the the staff there and that, those things, they don't always align with what we believe, and so then you start wondering, like, how are they trained? And like, what is it that they're being taught? And do they believe that because they go to that seminary, you know, yeah. and how to like filter through that? Anyway, Ooh. sorry, total side that's note. Some touchy ground. <laughs>
2: yeah, great topic. Yeah.
1: Ooh. So this section, I'm not quite done yet,
0: <laughs> but thank you for that, that's just, that was just added insight that I, I wasn't expecting, that's great. Um, so this section was about how, you know, government bureaus don't actually have to succeed. Um, they, they just have to grow. And that's ultimately what becomes the goal. Do what it takes to keep growing. I want to talk a little bit about the part where Cotevilla goes over Mexico, because um, I think it, it applies here. Mexico, for a very long time, was a one-party system of government. Uh, it was run by the PRI, which was the Institutional Revolutionary Party. And I have, I'm going to read a paragraph of, and I didn't get it out, so give me one second. Can I have a song for (laughs) just (laughs) a (laughs)
3: second?
0: Sorry about that, I'm usually a little bit more prepared than that, (laughs) because I didn't put it in my notes. Anyway, I have on my notes, read the paragraph. So, okay, here we go. So we talked a little bit about the pre, and so this was, talking about opposition parties against the PRI. This is the ruling party. So opposition parties were either bought off or cheated in vote counts. When I read that, I was like, mm.
3: that
0: just sounds so familiar. That's how they were able to win over and over and over and over. And that's how people in Mexico always knew that the PRI was always gonna win. Didn't matter what happened, the PRI was gonna win. They were gonna be the ruling class. For years and years, it wasn't until uh, Maybe ten years ago that a new party won, but for years and years there were one-party rule. Anyway, and so uh, meanwhile the pre-politicians began to pass themselves off as more scientific than the scientists. After all, <laughs> they were the ones who decided who was scientific and who was not. Just like elsewhere. Ah. So that's why when I read that I was like, "Wow, well, that's like here." Yeah. And when I thought of, as I thought about that, kind of along the lines of what we were talking last week, who are the experts? Who decides who the experts are? As far as I knew, I didn't think politicians were scientific. Mm-hmm. I didn't think they were the scientists. But why, do we, why are our politicians so often thought of as the experts? So that's just a question. It just, it just brings up all these questions about what I hear Who the experts are. Who makes them the expert? And how do I trust that? So, um, as a government grows, as politicians grow in pride, they used to say these people are the ones that know what they're doing, and so we're gonna talk to them. But then now it's only those that are government sanctioned. So, only the ones that the government says are okay. If the government says they're not okay, then they're wrong.
2: The Dr. (laughs) Fauci's of the world.
1: yeah Yeah, that's exactly what I And that's I mean COVID comes up in my mind well I'm thinking like in my head I'm thinking like how did Fauci become the like spokesperson know-it-all
0: well I'm sure he has education to back it up I'm sure Mm -hmm. he's got you know all of those things but why is because he is the one that is sanctioned by the government and why is he sanctioned by the government? What did they use to decide that he was the one? Right. That there are, should. There are and other why p- isn't there a group?
1: Right. Uh, like a panel right. of of people. Because when you start hearing about like opposing views by people that are mm-hmm. educated and have credentials, but they're right. like no. We're Even not from other to countries, those. you know, from mm-hmm. all over the place. This is Did you see, did you see the Stanford study I that did. I sent you? I did. Stanford just came out with a study
3: this that. weekend
1: mm-hmm. that said that masks are ineffective toward blocking the transmission of COVID and actually they are detrimental to health yes. which we've well, kind of Stanford been telling
0: Stanford had a lot of studies coming out that were ignored this right. for the last oh, yeah. couple years. Well,
2: in right. the, the narrative has been experts say, and that's yeah. kind of a conversation, Killer. Experts yeah. say, I guess say. And that's not actually the whole story. There yeah. are other experts that don't right. say. Right.
0: And those other experts may not be sanctioned by the government. You know, but does that make four, them four out of five dentists not approve? <laughs> <Right>? <laughs> what happened to that fifth so dentist? I don't have the answers. I can't tell you how. To, to find the trustworthy experts. And I think that's what kind of, when I read that, I was like, well, how, where, where do I go with that?
3: Mm-hmm. I mean, where
0: does a normal person go to find out who the experts are? And so honestly, the only thing I could think of is we just go back to what we know is true. And what do we know is true? The word of God is true because it comes from the very source of truth, which is God. Mm-hmm. And so I can, I can look to scripture so you're like well how how do i look to scripture about who the experts are or you know little things like that and i remember i just keep going back to this in angstead when she came to share about biblical counseling she said god made the mind of man and so maybe you said that
2: I no that's not like a great ankle
0: <laughs> right god made them uh the mind of man and so god mm-hmm. knows what it needs and how to cure it, what, how to give it wisdom. So if I need wisdom, where do I go? I go to scripture and I know because God is the creator of our minds. He, um, God, he, uh, he knows what we need. He's given us what we need, which is his word. Um, is it not him who establishes government? know is it not him who puts leaders in charge and he rules over it all so data may be helpful in analyzing some things but at the end of the day God is the source of it all I can trust his word to tell me how I need to live how I should help the poor how I should help the sick How I should deal with myself getting sick and my family getting sick, you know, um, how I should educate my children. I don't need experts. I just need to trust the Word of God and the wise counsel of being in a local church. So, as I think about the church and how we all need to be part of a local body fully committed to it, because My tax, I can't say, well, I pay taxes and so I help the poor. Like, no, you be involved in your church and you find the poor in your church and you help Mm -hmm. the poor in your church. You know, help moms that are educating. Because we see how the Department of Education has failed. So we are responsible for the education of our own children. And God gives so much wisdom on what children need to know. Um, So many things that I think we get caught up in expert this, expert that, research this, research that. They're going to fail us every time because government is going to fail. Because government, as we see in human history, by far is there to build itself up and and is not there for the people. And that's what made the American government so different in its establishment is that it was for the people. But man has changed it and corrupted it. And we still have some of those principles, but even with those you know, uh, lofty founding American principles, we still have the source, we still have to go to the source of truth. Amen. Because man will fail us, government will fail us, but God will, won't ever fail us.
2: And, and that conviction that God's wisdom is superior, mm-hmm. um, it is sufficient and superior to anything man could possibly come up right. with, um, that is a stabilizing. COVID and restrictions and all of that stuff. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, we, we, on the whole, just thinking, not just not our church, but Christians generally. in the past year or so is, mm-hmm. is thinking that these people actually know better. So when they tell yeah. us it's not safe to meet, it's not safe to gather, it's not safe to sing, it's not safe to greet one another uh, warmly, I mean,
3: mm-hmm.
2: God who knew the risks about disease right. before they existed, Actually, gave us commands to do those very things: to sing to one another as we lift up our voice to the Lord, Ephesians five; to greet one another with a holy kiss, right? These warm familial greetings, culturally appropriate, of course. Uh, yeah. All the rest, he knew yeah. that disease was going to be a risk. Right. He knew sickness was was a, at least a potential, mm-hmm. and, and he, he still gave us these commands.
0: Where all those microscopic things are going, it's not. It's it's all in his control. Just like we say with friends that have cancer or friends that are sick, there is no rogue molecule and there is no rogue disease. God is in control of it all. And so, right,
1: so we've just gotten into this trap of data, research, experts. And And it produces an environment of fear Mm -hmm. when we are called to not live in fear, but to live in faith Mm -hmm. and to obey the scripture. And Mm -hmm. that supersedes the fear, you know, if... Like I don't want to get COVID, but like well, you nobody know, de- nobody right. wants it's to not get like it. You wake up in the morning and
2: go. Well, right. I was so encouraged by Jeannie Miller on a Sunday. I uh-huh. mean, this is like we had, we were gathering, and uh, we were still in the thick of things, right? Mm-hmm. Um, when churches making the decisions that we made wasn't popular, and I was trying to be really sensitive to people who seem more susceptible to the virus and I'm like she asked can I give you a hug I'm like yes (laughs) and she's like people are so so afraid of of this virus I don't care if I die I die (laughs) but she's like I need to be around the church and I need to love you know feel people's love and see people's warm smiles and I was so encouraged She's um, always so.
0: She always looks so happy. Yeah, yeah. And,
2: and she's <laughs> yeah. she's more susceptible, and mm-hmm. you know there are there are other considerations for different people in different situations, but just her boldness and her confidence mm-hmm. in what God has ordained as right was so encouraging. Mm-hmm. Yeah,
0: yeah. So when I read that section, I was like, I can't skip this chapter because it was just you know <laughs> it was it, was, it was important,
1: yeah. and I hope it was interesting. Yeah. yeah. So, no, anyway, definitely. Okay. Well, we are going to jump into some questions with Omri then. So, like we said before, if you um, didn't get to hear Omri's testimony, it is in episode five. So please go back and listen to that. Um,
0: and we may repeat some things
1: uh, because hmm. some of these
0: topics do overlap. So
1: yeah, it it's, well. it's been ten it's weeks. Been yes, 10 it's been ten weeks. It's been ten weeks. It's been a long time. So um yeah but we're so excited and omri we didn't say it already but thank you for being here again
2: thank you for inviting me (laughs)
1: um okay so we had a few terms Mm -hmm. that we wanted to talk through and um understand so um i don't know carla what do you think
0: yeah well the first one was and this was he brought this up to us just right before we started which i hadn't even heard of it So, I thought we'd bring it up. Anyway, uh, what is standpoint epistemology? Did I say that
2: right? Yep, standpoint epistemology. So, a lot of the the terms that we're hearing as of late that have to do with the woke movement and even the term critical race theory and these philosophical ideas, they're, they're philosophical and sociological terms and it's easy to hear these things come up and think, "Oh, I don't have any place as a as a Christian, as a layman. I don't. I'm not an expert, and so I'm not gonna wade in those waters." But uh, really, the Christian, if you can get past the the philosophical jargon, uh, just to understand what's being asserted, and to know your Bible well enough to discern. What's true and what's false and what's right thinking is really all the Christian needs standpoint epistemology, ironically enough is a, an idea that actually contradicts that that epistemology being how you know what you know where is from where is knowledge derived um, how do I as a, a person living in a specific culture how do I arrive at truth standpoint because of my culture, because I know what it's like to be a minority in America, then I'm the one who understands oppression and racism. And someone who's white who might say, that's not an issue. Uh, There isn't systemic injustice in the way that you're describing, or I'm not racist. I don't have any prejudice against a person based on their, Uh, the color of their skin their ethnicity Those two people would would disagree and and the person who's a minority can say well the reason you don't understand is because You don't have the same cultural location Uh, You don't have the same social factors and those things actually Don't allow you to see the world from my perspective Mm -hmm. and so it's it's a, a postmodern convention where truth is dependent on not a, a fixed absolute, whether or not racism uh, or you're a racist, uh, a given person is a racist, is dependent on factors that actually are specific to a minority. right? Mm-hmm. So you, you've probably heard you know, as people are trying to describe racism, uh, racism isn't anymore isn't thought of so much as an individual decision, a choice, and a personal bias that one person has against another group of people based on inconsequential, uh, you know, invalid factors. But the person who's the minority has the insight, has the leg up to help you understand, here's how you should really be thinking about racism. Mm-hmm. And Christians uh, sadly have said, well, or just embrace the idea that the Bible doesn't actually tell us how specifically to think about racism, that that's something that we need to embrace a sociologist's you know, definition of those things and then apply it in the church and, and elsewhere. Mm. So standpoint of epistemology is, is just assuming that the person with the right social location has the understanding. And that's at the heart of what it even means to be woke. Yeah. Right? To have your to be awakened to the reality of these systemic injustices, uh, these oppressions against certain people groups and particularly minorities.
0: So it's just so abstract. Some, what I mean by that is you don't know that you've ever talked to enough minorities and gained enough knowledge from those minorities that have the right knowledge to ever get to a place where you know you've gained enough knowledge to not be racist. Do you, do you know what I'm saying? Like it's
2: Well, and that's absolutely key because when you read the woke literature... Um, the so-called experts, Robin D'Angelo, Ibram Kendi, Jamar Tisby, that's that is what you find them saying is that, oh, we're always growing. We should always be growing in our understanding of racial justice. We're, we're never done, uh, which is which is convenient because they've all gotten rich and famous <laughs> off of this narrative that they're pushing right. and so to convince the people listen you'll always need me to instruct you it just means that you're setting yourself up for a for a job in the future
0: wow yeah that sounds like a government program
3: <laughs> <laughs> they're a part of the system I know, right it's not
0: it's not a but you know in a
2: in his essay Against Heresies, he identifies that characteristic of, that that uh,
3: practice
2: Right. Heretics will come along and say, hey, you'll never, you'll always be searching. You'll always be searching. And so they inevitably, set themselves up as the god of this new system to where they always get to be the experts. Mm. Um that's something amazing to watch is these people who are at the forefront of the woke movement is they they set themselves up as the one who hold the, the ones who hold the key mm-hmm. to the understanding that yeah. you need to have, right? And yeah. so they're I mean, you got white people who are, like Robin DiAngelo, getting famous and super wealthy. Her book, uh, White Fragility, is the highest-selling book that's a part of the woke movement. Um, And she has gotten rich telling white people they can't see their racism. I mean... (laughs) that's brilliant i mean
0: right
2: kudos to you
0: like bottled
1: water
2: oh my goodness
1: i just like i think about all these like you we've seen the the leader of the blm in florida that bought all the mansions or whatever um i don't know if you've seen that in the news recently um but i think about you know all these movements that aren't grounded in truth like the word is the only truth and how given enough time their hypocrisy always comes through and people start to see it, you know? Um, But I mean, there are obviously people that are blinded to that and don't care and will go down that path. But I just think, you know, like put to the fire, like Mm -hmm. there is only one truth that will stand the test of time. Yeah. Uh, yeah,
0: I mean, just like what we said, you know, we we're talking about earlier. We just have to remember that God is the source of truth, yeah. and and to see to to have that red flag go off. Someone's telling me that I can't ever get to that higher knowledge. I mean, it's nothing new. This has been happening for centuries. Mm-hmm. Somebody coming along saying I have higher knowledge, and you can't ever get to there. You know, and all that. I mean, it's just it's just a new. It's just the flavor of the century. You know, or the flavor of the decade.
2: Yeah, it's a really underhanded, subtle way of claiming to be God, who mm. is, his knowledge is unfathomable. Uh, his knowledge is deep and can never be fully comprehended. Um, to say, hey, I've discovered something that you can never fully fathom. Um, it's, it's another way of, it, the temptation of Genesis 3 you know, you can be God, and yeah. we have people coming along, actually, who believe that lie themselves and are trying to convince the rest of us to believe the same lie. Mm-hmm. You can you can be independent of God. Um, you can have knowledge apart from him, and mm-hmm. voila, here they come with this new idea, new terminology, expertise that uh, is supposed to wow and impress people, and they say, you know, to him, through him, for him be all things you know this this expert mm-hmm. instead of instead of glory being the god um i i just see that in so many different ways in in woke literature you know, It's mm-hmm. just the standpoint of epistemology is one uh cunning ploy in that direction i think
1: i just feel like it's breeding such discontentment within our society and um I mean, like, where does it end? Like, where do they hope it to end? Because, like, they're calling for reparation payments. Like, is that enough? You know, you're $20,000 and, like, really? Like, no, you're going to want more. And then you're going to want... I feel like it's, it's turning, like, the tides are turning to the the black community being racist towards white community and then it like they what do they hope and are they hoping what happens to us brown people that are i'm just kidding that was a joke
2: <laughs> no i think that's a good question though
1: <laughs> well, I, where am i look at the asian on population the scale, right? that's that's being so like attacked in the streets by and black
2: by black people yeah.
1: I don't understand. Like, I think we're not
2: supposed to say that, though.
1: Oh, yeah. yeah. Well, it's out there now. I know. But what, 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 but really, what are we supposed to do with that? Like, as an as a white woman, you know? Like, and as a Hispanic woman. <laughs> like, what are we, we supposed to
3: do with
0: that? We've got quite the multi- multicultural group here. Yeah, we do. <laughs> we
3: ours. are. <laughs>
2: Preach the truth, mm-hmm. and people of varying ethnicities and walks of life have come in. God has saved them, mm-hmm. they love the truth. Mm-hmm. And we've got a whole group of children who are mixed. Children Mm -hmm. and who have been adopted into multi ethnic families or minority children adopted by uh, white families, which the woke movement is also saying is a bad thing. I mean, these are things though that the gospel has actually accomplished. Mm -hmm.
1: Yeah, yeah, right.
2: And I would love if somebody would say, man, what are they doing over there? You know, but you know, first black elder,
1: (laughs) woohoo! Yeah.
2: Which is not to toot my own horn but yeah you know to your to your question when is that enough like when do we get to be a a multi-ethnic church and then go teach other churches how to do it well what's
0: interesting that you say that though is i had that thought we have a black elder now hasn't even crossed
1: my mind until you said it just now but that i think that's the whole point like our our circle, our church family, like we are a family. Yeah. That's right. Like there we don't care where you came right. from. We don't well, care what because color. Your ultimately skin we is. understand that our greatest need was for Christ. Right. Mm-hmm. It doesn't
0: And we're all striving
1: we toward from. one goal yeah. mm-hmm. of knowing Christ more mm-hmm. and and obeying him. And that supersedes all of this. Yep,
2: and none of none of the other stuff matters. Yeah. yeah. Right. That's true. We're gonna we're gonna appoint qualified yeah. men. Doesn't matter to us where they come from who right. they look like you right. know.
0: because what matters is their qualification
2: absolutely and we've never hung our hat on being diverse or, or these extra biblical criteria to validate what we're doing as a church mm-hmm. God himself Jesus says what we should be doing as a church mm-hmm. and however that shakes out in his sovereignty re- regardless of you know who makes it into being an elder who's in leadership who's discipling who's teaching all of that god can decide just doing the next thing that's right what jesus requires Mm -hmm. you can't be afraid of of not meeting the world's criteria um the world's version of righteousness and inclusion and equity and just let god decide where the chips fall
0: It was interesting. We had our twentieth anniversary this last mm-hmm. Sunday, which is so exciting. We came about our my family. We came about a year and a half after there had been a, you know a big fallout, and the, the church was rebuilding. And there came a time where we didn't know if we were going to stay at the church for different reasons. We were far away. We were. It, it. We started having kids. We were feeling a little disconnected. And what do we do? Do we commit to this other side of the valley? Do we go to where we are now? You know. And I remember Steve telling, telling me, you know, God. it's very clear that God could have closed the doors of this church, and he didn't. And so we just want to stay just to see what God is going to do. Because if we are never in any position of leadership or anything like that, it's just a privilege to watch. And I feel that's how it's been the last 15 years, 16 years for us here. It's been a privilege to watch what God has done in this church, how He kept it together, and how now, even if we don't you know do anything other than watch, although we should be doing more than that um it's a privilege to just see how God has preserved this church mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. you know but anyway, I have a question back to our topic. Do you have a question yet
1: yes I, yeah, now? I have lots of questions, but okay.
0: <laughs> well. So I'll ask mine first. Okay, go first. So you uh, you mentioned about reading a lot of woke literature. Um, what my my question is, like, how much do you think we should read that, or should we just let you read it and then you can be our
1: expert, <laughs> filter it yeah. for us?
2: I'm 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 reading it out of what I consider necessity, just for the good of our sheep. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm not reading it for fun, mm. and so unless you have. A significant relationship or or a really good reason to engage with, with that literature until mm-hmm. un, unless there's um, something at stake if you don't I'm just not a fan of reading the latest error mm-hmm. because yeah. I want to be in the know or I enjoy that I think that that's actually dangerous when, when yeah. Paul talks about in, in Timothy I mean chapters one, four, and six. Uh, he warns Timothy about the kinds of men who teach from a perverted conscience, from a defiled conscience, mm-hmm. and so I just there's there's always a danger in mm-hmm. uh, consuming error,
3: mm-hmm.
2: and at the same time, while there's a danger, uh, there there is an opportunity to. To discern and combat wrong thinking i don't think that if you if you're if you're living in the world then you're always encountering error right you don't have to like purchase it and then set aside time to engage in it at the highest level mm-hmm. to know what's wrong thinking mm-hmm. so everybody's you know the work movement is happening and you're not getting away from it uh the very few people who live somewhere and aren't confronted with these things Mm -hmm. and so you have an opportunity uh, at whatever level whether it's uh, a sign in your neighbor's yard whether it's uh, family members who are going this way whether it's your kid's school and they've got new initiatives that they're introducing and all of those things those are your opportunities to Open your Bible and say what's what's wrong with that kind of kind of thinking how should I be thinking about that biblically and you should do that mm-hmm. so I, I haven't encouraged uh, anybody just to to read for fun um, and the reason I have is because it's a uh, I think I've thought this would be helpful for our church if if I actually went there so yeah,
0: yeah. well and you know it's it's the movement of the decade you know. in in 10 years from now there'll be a new movement. There'll be new, not even new error. It's just the same error recycled over and over and over just with a different
1: packaging. Yep. Yeah, and um, we can, and we can decipher, I think, knowing God's word, you know, like, how to approach those conversations even without knowing exactly what, you know, this book talked about, you know, well, I, no matter what you say, if I know God's word, I can combat you know, with what's true. Yep. Although
0: we did feel the need to define standpoint. <laughs> yeah.
2: there's, there's a there's a danger in wanting to uh, become an expert on mm. any topic. Mm. You know, uh, just the human heart. This is for unbelievers and Christians alike. I, true. It's really mm. easy to see people getting rich off of pushing the woke narrative mm. because they become the experts in those fields. But the same temptation exists for people who agree with scripture and and see things the way we do is that hey i'm a christian and i can be looked to uh, on this particular subject and i can become known well known for opposing this error and i think that that's equally dangerous you know uh, just you need to be known for godliness and upholding god's truth and sure at this moment in history that means opposing the woke movement perhaps but tomorrow it'll be it'll be something else and so yeah. yeah
3: yeah okay I asked the last question so I'll
1: thinking through like um, there are some people that want to know an answer to every question and then there are some people who of want to live oblivious to everything that's going on so what is what is the wise way to live like should we be thinking we through be
0: insulated in our bubble i kind of like yeah. my bubble
1: right
2: mm. yeah I, that, that's probably just dependent on on uh, the person i think that if you have a clear understanding of of what scripture requires of you i mean based on what God has given. Mm-hmm. You just you want to be a, a good and faithful servant, as, as Jesus says. That's what we should be striving for, is to hear those words, good, uh, well done, mm-hmm. good and faithful servant. And so you've got various areas of stewardship. Yeah. You two are moms and wives, and you're stewarding this podcast, <laughs> and you're involved at your kid's school. I mean, lots of different areas of life where you have an opportunity to Practice godliness and be influential in really mm. good, unique ways. And so, what what it takes to manage those things, um, go after that. You know, maybe maybe in a specific realm, you have to look more into these things and fortify your thinking and. Provide an answer to people who need one. Uh, if your children are coming home and with these ideas, then you're going to want to set aside more time and more resources to really help guard your home and pour into your children. Mm-hmm. And maybe in another family or with with other people, that's just not where they live, you know. And so they don't need to feel the pressure to do what might be best for the next guy. Does that make sense?
0: Yeah, that makes a lot of sense. And it makes me think, wow, it is hard enough to be faithful to the things I am called to. Just being a faithful wife, faithful mom, faithful church person. It's hard enough to be faithful to those things in my own heart before I even think of going out to some place that I may not have, you know, that may not touch my life specifically um, it, could, it could be a waste of time. It could be uh, an opening to error that I shouldn't be opening myself up to and just be faithful with what I have.
2: And that's one of the dangers of, of what what Christians are being told yeah, is that it is. This area of injustice and social injustice, this is every Christian's responsibility to overturn these systemic evils. This is every church's responsibility to work toward this goal of racial equality and racial justice. I mean, besides the fact that there's a huge misdiagnosis to begin with about whether those things are truly happening and the degree to which they are happening, the misdiagnosis aside, you're getting people who like you said have enough work to do in the current from what they should be doing Mm -hmm. and going after uh, racial justice and and Mm -hmm. you know starting these initiatives and Mm -hmm. inevitably inevitably because Jesus did not give the church this as a mission he knew what we can handle he knew what was wisest for the church to go after corporately you have churches who aren't even training their own men to bring in another part of the conversation you're not even raising up pastors who are faithful godly and can handle god's word at a high level to go fight racial injustice in the world as they see it Um, It's like, how about just doing what the Bible, the New Testament requires of the church first and then consider Mm -hmm. looking looking elsewhere. And I just think about our 11 pastors, guys who are the busiest men that I know, Mm -hmm. most of them holding down full time jobs, uh, raising families, shepherding in the Mm -hmm. church. I can't imagine them frankly going you know adopting another initiative trying to overturn a whole system Mm -hmm. of uh, of disparities because that's disparities aren't the problem anyway you talked (laughs) about that last time but just to to think man we're in a world where our pastors get time to go after social justice causes Uh, we'd be wasting time And, and Grace Bible Church would not be the better for it you know that that sounds possibly insensitive to think hey there's this oppressed group of people uh, out in the world somewhere and they're not being helped. Mm-hmm. You're right. We should go preach the gospel to them <laughs> and urge them to flee the wrath to come, join what God is doing in the world in the church. Mm-hmm. And whatever helps missing in the world and just uh, the, the worldly systems, um, the church is sufficient. No. Christ's church is sufficient.
0: That was my next question. What should we be doing? Yeah. And you just answered it. No. Um, we
2: and Yeah, we should be doing what the New Testament requires of the church. So passages like... James uh, 1 and 2, not showing partiality, caring for orphans and widows, that's that's in, in Scripture. You can move from Old all the way through New Testament. The call for God's people in Israel, Old Testament Israel, was never to care for all of the orphans, widows, and disenfranchised in the world. Outside of God's people, in other words. Israel's obligation was to Israel and the the theme of the land in the Old Testament actually clarifies that and it makes it makes their obligation impossible to accomplish outside of the land. Hmm. Um, I really want to do an equipping hour (laughs) on on the on uh, the, the eschatology and the Torah and the significance of the land promises, you that's could do a, a podcast. For- <laughs> <laughs> Get the ball rolling. That's
1: always <laughs> open. Yeah, summer.
2: <laughs> you go. Know, y'all have to have me back. Yep. <laughs> um, but then, even New Testament, when uh, God cuts off Israel, establishes the church and gives the church specific instructions. Regarding the practical care of people and ensuring that practical needs are met, you'll never, ever, ever, ever find not one place in the New Testament where God obligates the church to meet those needs outside of the church. You know, in terms of corporate initiatives, Mm -hmm. uh, corporate care, the one Mm -hmm. another's—that is one another, one churchman to another Mm -hmm. Uh, that kind of care and and we've actually done that we've cared for Mm -hmm. orphans and widows in our midst Mm -hmm. and that is the test of faithfulness not whether or not uh, we eradicate foster care in our city Mm -hmm. right Mm -hmm. that's not the test Uh, every Christian is not obligated to adopt a child so that the foster care system doesn't exist anymore in our city Mm -hmm. would it be great Sure. That praise God if that happens, but you can't make that obligatory for Christians. So we're obligated to do what Jesus has required, and that's not the kinds of social justice. It's really good. It's really good.
1: Yeah. So I don't know. Do you have any more questions for I was today? We're all of
0: our questions. And um, I don't know that we. Um, I kind of wanted to talk about white supremacy, but... <laughs> <laughs> white supremacy. You know, right? But it kind Great of, question. I mean, it's just one of those things where we know it's, it's, it's the same argument. It's the same application. Yeah. It's the same um, response. It's the same charge, you mm-hmm. know? We do what James 1 says. We don't show partiality. And we are faithful, you know, faithful to the church. Faithful to Christ faithful to preach the gospel because that is what has the power to change and i think sometimes we don't think we don't think the gospel has that kind of power we we somehow believe it's not enough you know but that but that's not true because it is enough that's right and so um so yeah i mean i I guess the only thing i would think of is how do you want to how should we encourage and how do you want to encourage those that are listening you know kind of um move forward in a way that is honoring to God when it comes to all of these
2: issues Yeah, of the, how
1: do we how do we be coming? a light in the world in the midst of all of this? Mm-hmm.
2: Yeah, great question. The the way we be a light is uh, personally and corporately obeying all that Jesus has commanded, right? In Matthew 28 18 to 20, the great commission disciple nations baptizing them in the name of the Father Son Holy Spirit. we just saw that on Sunday our mm-hmm. church is doing that mm-hmm. um, obviously people have to be saved mm-hmm. and so you preach the gospel to people mm-hmm. um, you love them practically right you have neighbors and, and friends uh, in your different realms of, of interaction influence you you love them. And you be kind and you be compassionate, you be hospitable. All of those things that God has required of us uh, in the in his word. And you teach them all to, to obey, to obey specifically. Teach them to obey all that Christ has commanded us. Mm-hmm. And that's what you have your your New Testament. That's the the instructions He's given to His apostles, uh the founders the foundation of, of his church mm-hmm. and you know since I know so many from Grace Bible Church are listening to mm-hmm. this podcast which <laughs> I'm so thankful for I love hearing my wife washing dishes and folding clothes <laughs> after our kids are down and, and the podcast is on um, participate be zealous about participating in what's happening at Grace Bible Church to accomplish those things uh, we're training men, we're training women and you know in small group don't miss small group you're important why because people have to be taught to obey everything that jesus commanded so even when you're tired when you've had a long day when the kids Mm -hmm. have been unruly when you'd rather get a a good night's sleep sacrifice uh those things uh sacrifice and and exert yourself pour yourself out uh, for the church Mm -hmm. that is a life well lived if we're all doing that, that is a life well lived. Nobody's ever going to write a book about us. you know. Maybe Smed. He might. <laughs> somebody, Smed and Josh, some of us. But just to labor faithfully, knowing that we are under the watchful eye and care of our Savior, and He is the one who is going to reward us on the last day. And so every... Uh, small group attended, every core question answered, every build and wellspring uh,
3: discussed
1: you (sighs) all right so now as we go out into the world (laughs) and we you know labor in Mm -hmm. in no and and striving to honor him in all that we do well and if you are not part of our
0: church and if you're not in a church find a church where you can do these things um and if you are part of a church labor hard in your church to Mm -hmm. be faithful to these things
1: yeah Um, So looking ahead for next week, Mm -hmm. we have um, a sweet lady from our church named Lori coming, and she's going to talk about um, living life with a prodigal child. Mm -hmm. I think it will be um, very encouraging to many.
0: So as you go about your week, we want to remind you of what is eternal. So we'll end with Isaiah 48. The grass withers and the flower fades, but the word of our God stands forever. Thank you for listening. Have a great week.